electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be able to make friends. I'm just trying to help you save some money here. My job is not just to teach, but also to entertain and to educate. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. All right, look, the Fed is in full rate hike mode. And it's scaring everyone, causing them to flee from the market as though they're trapped inside a burning building, which is why the Dow lost 282 points today. S&P tumbled 1.1%. And 1.11. And the Nasdaq dropped 0.97%. First time it hasn't been worse than the S&P in a while. Although, and that, by the way, that was a nice increase from where it was earlier in the day. Yeah, it was that bad today. There's just one problem with the thesis. Why the heck didn't these people sell, 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 sell at literally any point in the past year? Why now? Because here's what I think. See, I think the Fed wants to see lots of layoffs to tamp down inflation, and it's not happening. And they're getting scared. There's a shocking lack of urgency in actual corporate America. Like most companies believe they can avoid a downturn even as their comp- competitors get hurt. They think they're going to get through unscathed. J-Pal can't fire anyone directly. But if you listen to him the other day, he's practically screaming at business people to stop hiring people. That's how you create slack in the labor market, which eventually translates into price cuts for just about everyone. <laughs> the timing for all this taking through actually makes sense. I think we're going to see big layoffs right after Christmas because even Grinch-like CEOs have a heart, at least when it comes to timing. I mean, I don't know. They probably read uh, Christmas Cow. The latest Fed statement gives every CEO in America cover to rationalize and let a lot of people go. The Fed's given you what you need to do. And that's why I want to start next week's game plan with the suggestion that we'll soon need to have a tote board for the layoffs because they're going to grow as business softens. I think the epicenter of the layoffs will be in Silicon Valley with enterprise software being ground zero, software for big companies. Over the last decade, the hottest ticket in venture capital was creating these cloud software companies, most of which do exactly the same thing, whether it's analyzing data, protecting data, connecting to data. 
These outfits could make a lot of money as long as there were new companies to digitize and migrate to the cloud. But eventually you do run out of potential clients. We've hardly had any IPOs for the past year. And that means there are fewer clients, maybe far fewer potential clients, which means less business for the whole industry. So, so far, though, these enterprise software plays, again, I'm telling you, that's where the trouble is, have been reluctant to fire people. Maybe they are actually afraid of looking weak. I got news for them, bad news. They should be more afraid of their own viability. Which brings me back to J-PAL. In many ways, the most powerful tool in his arsenal isn't raising interest rates. It's the bully pulpit. He just needs to say he's going to keep raising rates. That's enough to deter businesses from hiring or encourage them to let people go. So when you see that Goldman Sachs plans to lay off a lot of people, no fixed number yet, but a lot, you got to figure the other brokerage houses will mimic Goldman and so forth. For instance, if you're in the used car business, you're probably going to mimic Carvana. If you're in retail, you might take your cue from Bed Bath & Beyond. Remember, Powell isn't the only one both talking tough and acting tough. His ally in Europe, Christine Lagarde, the president of the European Central Bank, said yesterday that they could be in store for three more 50 basis point rate hikes this year if inflation doesn't get under control. A major reason why the morning was so ugly, because we have to believe Maybe it could head our way, too. I know it seems almost obscene to celebrate layoffs, but you need to understand the job losses are coming no matter what. The only question is whether they'll be small and surgical or more like the meat axe layoffs that we saw in 1980 when Paul Volcker broke the back of inflation with endless rate hikes, but also totally wrecked the economy. With that in mind, let's talk about what's coming. Now, we don't have much corporate news on Monday. It's kind of a strange day. It's just a, a void day. A lot of, if I were a company, I'd report that day. The only company that anyone would focus on. But Tuesday is incredibly important. At 8.30 a.m., we get housing start data. And I have to tell you, this industry is usually the epicenter of the layoff destruction, not Philicon Valley, but not this time. We aren't building enough homes to meet our population growth, so housing prices just won't come down, which is a major disappointment from the Fed's perspective, because housing's a big part of inflation. That's another reason why Powell's targeting lower wages. Unless we get a big housing starts number, and I doubt we will, there won't be a decline in home prices, which is what he wants to see. So if j Powell wants to beat housing inflation, he can only do it by making potential home buyers feel too afraid to take out a more expensive mortgage so a housing glut will develop. That could take years, though. We also get an earnings report from General Mills. I tell you, I like this company very much. The stock's up 29% for the year. General Mills was able to get away with multiple price increases because it's got the best brands, including pet food. The stock's up so much that I don't know how much it can still rally, even on a great number. But the market's getting oversold. And so, therefore, it could still work. The other side of the trade happens when we get after the close Federal Express. Now, FedEx has had a tough time of it. This company's prepared to take a ton of costs out, and because it's got to just, it's just got to get more profitable. Some people might be upset by the number, the size of the layoffs, if they do have layoffs. But let me tell you this: if you believe the Fed's playing a bad hand with a great uh, bluffing strategy, you got my blessing to buy some FedEx after the quarter, because I think new management's going to make this company hum. Nike reports, too, and I've never seen so many upgrades and price target hikes without anything behind them as we've had with Nike. Just like with Estee Lauder and Starbucks, two charitable trust names, it seems like people are simply trying to get into this one ahead of China's big reopening. And you know what? I think they're going to be right. I think Nike works. We know people aren't buying goods like they used to, but they're still traveling. So how about the cruise lines? 
We get results from Carnival on Wednesday, and I think they're going to be bullish because there are still people, plenty of people, actually, who haven't gone anywhere in years, and they're desperate for a vacation. Cruising's a bargain, let's face it, and it should be one of the last groups to show pain as the economy slows down. You want to know how the small, medium-sized businesses are doing? Look no further than Cintas, which makes and cleans uniforms for these smaller operators. They totally dominate the market. If Cintas says business is better than ever, then we know that the Fed is not saber rattling. They're raising. They're giving us some more 50s. After the close, we hear from Micron, the commodity chipmaker. Right now, there's an immense glut of most semiconductors thanks to the worldwide slowdown and China's repeated lockdowns. Micron's one of the few companies that's been telling it straight the whole way. Ever since 90, if they tell us there's still a glut on Wednesday, stocks in the low 50s. I expect, yes, just another leg down for the semis, even if they've been bouncing since October. I think that the most likely outcome uh, will be a glut, and you'll see a lot of chip stocks for sale on Thursday. Now, uh, Thursday morning, we get the best barometer of small, medium-sized business that there is, even better than Cintas. I'm talking about paychecks, payroll processor. They've got their finger on the pulse of this economy. Again, we want them to be downbeat. They're never downbeat, though. They've been having a good run, too. If Paychex talks about how their clients just keep growing and hiring and growing, then it means you got to be looking at some more 50s from the Fed, just take it plain and simple. Same goes for CarMax, the used car chain. We used to hear that prices are being rolled back and sales are weak. Uh, because that means the Fed's winning its war on inflation? Uh, I don't know. CarMax, troubled industry. Now, I feel terrible about all these negatives that need to happen, but if we don't get them, then the future looks even uglier because the Fed will have to do a lot more than just talk. That's especially true if we get a core price deflator number on Friday morning that shows inflation still burning hot. This is a figure Jay Powell very much cares about. It's a he seems to care about every figure, though. Here's the bottom line. We want the Fed to talk a big game without needing to, uh, to actually do too much. Talk is better than action. We want him to scare the economy into slowing under its own weight. We don't want endless rate hikes or the 50 basis point Lagarde thing that we were talking about yesterday that will destroy everything in its path. I'm optimistic that Powell can jawbone us into much slower inflation. But after daily today, i got to tell you something. I'm starting to feel like a pretty darn lonely optimist. Ken in Arizona. Ken. Yes. Ken, you're up. Oh, well, good. Well, Jim, uh, I just want to tell you how uh, impressed I am that you all, uh, you, you and your staff can turn out these such high quality, consistent uh, programs day in and day out. Wow. Thank you so much. I love that. I'm looking at my staff and we are, I mean, but when Friday comes around, we're either like punch drunk or we're like saying, okay, this is the best show we're ever going to do in our whole lives. So I greatly appreciate the kindness of those words. What, how can I help? Well, uh, we want to talk about Dillard's today, uh, DDS. Uh, they yeah. uh, describe themselves by saying this is a, uh, we are a retailer of fashion apparel, cosmetics, and home furnishings. And uh, from there they go. They are about a $5, million, $5 billion uh, market cap, 6.2 uh, total sales. Uh, it's an, you know, it is an inexpensive stores. company. It's an inexpensive company that's doing better than others. I have to tell you, I'm not a huge fan of retail right now. We've really cut back on retail dramatically for uh, our charitable trust, uh, which you can follow along, by the way. Really, I thought, very good lecture yesterday that we gave a little trade uh, in our uh, monthly meeting. I prefer Costco because I want to own the stocks of companies that create bargains for consumers. All right. 
I am actually still optimistic that J-PAL can jawbone us into much lower inflation. But after a day like today, it's pretty clear I've got a very lonely position. Oh, man, buddy, tonight, this week was a nice reminder to make sure you hold a diversified portfolio that can handle whatever the market throws at it. So tonight we're playing MI Diversified. See if your portfolio can pass the test. Then we're wrapping up this week's series by taking a closer look at the top performing industrials of the year. I'm offering three names that I think could have a strong show for 2023. Probably want to write them down. And should supply chain worries continue to be in the top of mind going into the new year after all that we've seen? Let's find out. Let's talk to the CEO of Flexport. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere, you can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. It's always hard to watch a major market sell off like the moment we see it this week. But it gives you a reason to reassess the positions you have, maybe make your portfolio a little bit more ready for the shock of the system. And that's why we're playing MI Diversified. What do you do? Well, you call me, you give me your top five holdings, I tell you if portfolio is diversified enough. Maybe we need to change things a little, get a little more diversified. We're going to start with a tweet from Ron, who asks, at Mad Money on CBC, you know, that hash type stuff, at Jim Kramer, Accenture, Home Depot, IBM, Starbucks, and Honeywell, and my diversified. Well, 
This is tough. One of the reasons why it's tough is we had news today. I read through the Accenture call. I didn't think it was nearly as bad. Some people worried about the cash flow, but uh, I thought it was fine. And might want to buy that stock on Monday, to tell you the truth. That is a company that does um, IT uh, analysis for you as a company. IBM, though, also does the same thing. So we've got to be careful. And I do prefer IBM over Accenture. Home Depot, the great box retailer, Starbucks, we own it for the trust. It's doing incredibly well. And I think you can put up many more stores in China. You want to buy that aggressively. It was down today. And then Honeywell, which is aerospace climate controls. So it's industrial. A, um, I don't know what you call it, food and beverage company. Uh, uh, we've got a absolutely fantastic big box retailer. We have IBM. We're going to say no to Accenture for now because IBM's doing better. And we're going to add a healthcare company. And the healthcare company that we're going to add is Eli Lilly. I think that's the best. I am going to come back on Accenture and go over it next week because I thought it got a raw deal on the conference call. Let, now let's go to Richard in New York. Richard! Hi, Jimmy Chill. My five stocks are Boeing, Apple, Broadcom, John Deere, and NVIDIA. Am I diversified? Merry Christmas. Man, I'm liking it. That, I like that sweater, too. Remember the ugly sweaters? That's a good-looking sweater. All right, so Apple, own it, don't trade it. Remember, I tell you, a bad quarter comment. I do even fear pre-announcement. Pre- said it yesterday in my conference call for those who are members of the club. NVIDIA up 40% from the bottom in October, but now probably a little bit exhausted. But they do make the finest chips in the world. Deere is my favorite industrial, trying to figure out a way to get in the portfolio and have a chance to. Broadcom with a knockout quarter, but there you got a big overlap there between Broadcom and NVIDIA because they're both semi, although this is high-end semi. And then Boeing, which is making a comeback. We've got aerospace. We we have technology, we have ag, and then we have two technologies. I'm going to say yes to NVIDIA, even though it's up too high. And then once again, this you got to have with economy slowing, you need health care. I keep emphasizing that. This time, I'm going to say, once again, um, we're going to go with J&J for those who don't like Eli Lilly. So now I've given you a panoply. Let's, up, let's go to Alexander in Michigan. Alexander. Hey, Jim. Me and my dad love the show. I'm Alexander, uh, engineer from Flint, Michigan. Want to know, am I diversified? Got Coca-Cola, GM, Walmart, Apple, and Boeing. Thank you. Don Blake, my brother-in-law, is an engineer from Michigan. They probably know each other. That, that, that's probably a stretch. Okay, Coca-Cola, we got a beverage company. You got G- Mary Barr is reinventing GM, and if you don't think she's doing a good job, I'm right here. Come see me. Uh, Apple, we know, is technology. Boeing, we already blessed that. Aerospace. Walmart, all right. Well, Walmart is good. I prefer Costco to Walmart, but I like this pastiche here, if not mosaic, of pure diversification. We got beverage. We have auto. We have tech. We have aerospace, and we have retail. This is what I'm looking for. It is the way you should be thinking. Now, let's Go, oh, we're going to Texas. Ed in Texas, Ed. Hi, Jim. This is Ed in Irving, Texas, old home of the Dallas Cowboys. I want to know if I'm diversified and I'm preparing for retirement in one or two months. So I have a portfolio based on dividends and growth and income. My top five holdings are AT&T, ABV, Capital One Financial, Southern Company, and Qualcomm. Thank you very much. Wow, this is going to be very hard, okay? And I'm going to be a little bit harsh. I did not like the charge offs. They went from 1.5% to 3% Capital One. That's way too high. I don't think they're set up for this coming decline in business, so we're not going to own that. Southern is one of my least favorite uh, 
because they screwed up on a couple of big nuclear plants. We are going to go with AEP, American Electric Power. ATT slashed the dividend. So we're not going to ever buy a company that slashed the dividend because we're trying to get dividend income here. AbbVie, I am very worried about a couple of upcoming tests about some of their drugs. I'm willing to go with it, but I'm not crazy about it. I prefer J&J. And then Qualcomm, well, what can I tell you? It's a travel trust name that we are extremely disappointed in, and I would not own that for yield. So we got to do a lot of changes. I'll, I, I, you know, we want to change the utility. Let's do um, J.P. Morgan to get the dividend right, okay? ATT, we're going to kick that out. I'm not ready to, do, to give them Verizon. I don't want to do that. Instead, I'd rather own the two-year treasury at 4.1. That's a better piece of paper. It's usually not in my pastiche. And then uh, we'll keep AbbVie, uh, even though, like I said, we sold it for the Travel Trust because we were worried about the binary outcome of, of a couple of their stocks that may not be doing as well as people think. Let's go to one more. Let's, Jimmy Chill says let's go to Randall in California. Randall. Hi, Jim. This is Randall from California. First time, long time and club member. My top five stocks are Devon Energy, DVN. Enphase Energy, E-N-P-H, Estee Lauder, E-L, Procter & Gamble, P-G, and Wells Fargo, W-F-C. Jim, am I diversified? Well, first, I want to thank you for being a member of the club. There is a replay of yesterday's conference call. Got a lot of people liking the call. And we touched on some of these stocks, including Wells Fargo. Down here at 40, it's an amazing decline that this stock's experienced, given the fact that they haven't raised the rate that they pay you, but they're getting unbelievable rates from the fact that the Fed has raised rates. Wells Fargo is the bank to own here. Estee Lauder with China opening. Fabrizio Freda is ready. There's going to be a makeup surge there. That's why the stock's up 50 from the low, but still down 100 from the high. Procter & Gamble, one that we've been fighting and battling and fighting and battling. Their raw costs going down. Their prices are going to stay the same. It's fantastic. I'm going to call this cosmetics, and I'm going to call this consumer package and let, let it be different enough. Enphase, we cover this is one of our absolutely favorite solar plays, and Devin has now come down almost 20 points, and I was ready to pull the trigger on Devin, but we were frozen, and we are frozen again. Remember, we never trade on anything that's been talked about on the show for a couple days, for three days. Why? Because we don't ever want anyone to think that Wow, you know what? We bought Devin and then Devin moved up, that kind of thing, uh, or that we're using the show. I'm putting that out. All the rules are available on the site, but rules matter, and they matter. Every, they're everything to me. So a bank, we have a, a, a makeup company. We've got a consumer package package company. We've got a solar company, and we have one of the finest energy companies run by a man named Rick Moncrief, who knows more about energy than anyone in the country. He was the first to have this incredible dividend policy that gives you a huge return, which makes me think that I should have suggested Devin to the previous caller when he said he wanted income and get rid of that gosh darn ATT, which cut the dividend and shamed us all. Mad money is back into the break. Coming up, our sector-by-sector trip across the market continues. The best industrials of 2022 and an eye to the future next. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge, 
and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. another awful day for the averages. I want to do something constructive. We know this whole year has been ugly for the market because we've been afraid of this Fed-mandated recession, and those fears keep getting more and more real. But even in an ugly market, you can still find winning stocks if you know where to look. House of pleasure. And that's why all week I've been focused on best-performing stocks and best-performing sectors, according to the Global Industry Classification Standard Breakdown, because they can give us some clues about what might work next year, which may not be as horrible as this year. While most of these uh, this year's winners won't be able to put on a, a repeat performance in 2023, there are always some good ones once you drill down. I want to focus on them so you know them. So far this week, we've been through energy, the utilities, the consumer staples, and healthcare. Tonight, we're looking at the fifth place sector, and that's the industrials, which is currently down 7.3% for the year. Definitely nothing to write home about, but still enough to beat the mighty Dow industrial average. Just like with healthcare, which we talked about yesterday, the industrials are a large category. 71 of these stocks in the SP 500 make it the second largest group behind tech. And the again, industrials are kind of like a real grab bag when you look at them. Uh, you typically think of machinery, right? But this 11 sector breakdown counts the defense contractors as the industrials, along with the transports. We know that defense stocks have been on fire this year. Ever since Russia invaded Ukraine, the whole world recognized the need to remilitarize because conventional land wars are no longer unthinkable, and we didn't have enough weapons to wage conventional land wars. Some of the machine names have done well, too, in part because they benefit from last year's big infrastructure bill, and also people think will benefit from next year's. Meanwhile, the transports have been crushed. Nobody wants to own those things going into recession. Even the airlines were on the weaker side, despite the fact that we got a booming bull market in travel. I'm a believer in this story, but Wall Street always seems surprised when the airline numbers stay strong. The weakest area by far within the industrial is anything that touches on housing. Stanley, Black & Decker, what a disaster. Fortune Brands, ouch. Uh, in Fortune Brands Innovations, they changed the name. Masco, they all finished the bottom 10. Even higher quality companies that sell into commercial building projects, they've been struggling. The way I see it, you can divide the industrials into two categories. There are the ca- companies that are hostage to a weaker economy, and then there are the companies that are more levered to government spending which are in much better shape. Consider the three best performers for the year, Northrop Grumman, Lockheed, and Deere. The first two are defense contractors, while Deere makes farm equipment and earth movers. They're tied to a global agricultural 
boom. And they're also making some money from last year's big infrastructure bill. And yes, some of that boom has to do again with the Russia-Ukraine war. Let's take them one by one, starting with Northrop Grumman. It's up 37%. That's, that's spectacular. Uh, these guys have a vast portfolio of, of programs across air, land, sea, space, and cyber, all areas where the Pentagon is happy to spend money. They're a leader in drones and long-range stealth bombers. Two weeks ago, they wrote out the next-generation B-21 bomber. That's successor to the B-2. They offer military-grade cybersecurity solutions. They are involved with the air and ground-based legs of the nuclear triad, a top priority for the Pentagon. Tons of big-ticket hardware, too. While the war in Ukraine has created a tremendous bull market in the defense stocks, we're not seeing a ton of, seeing a ton of Northrop government-made hardware being sold into Ukraine beyond some cannon, munitions, rocket propulsion systems, and surveillance assets. But the stock caught fire anyway because the Russian invasion has reminded our government that we could really end up in a conventional war with a modern military, causing Congress to dramatically boost defense spending. And the Europeans are doing the exact same thing. If you're figuring a conventional war, uh, not just a counterinsurgency, you need Northrop Grumman's equipment. Big win for them. So can the stock keep climbing? The only knock against Northrop Grumman is that it's gotten more, it's gotten more expensive. It's trading at 21 times this year's earnings estimates. Not unreasonable, especially if you think we're looking for a period of prolonged remilitarization. Next up, the second best performing industrial was my favorite, Lockheed Martin, up 35%. This is another defense contractor that's become surprisingly controversial. After roaring higher this year uh, in the spring, Lockheed trended lower throughout the summer and early fall. We even saw a bunch of downgrades with an analysts arguing that all the good news from Ukraine was baked in. But then the company reported a strong quarter in mid-October, coupled with a $14 billion buyback, and the stock caught fire, surging to a new all-time high just a couple of weeks ago. That buyback really surprised people. Now we're seeing the negativity creep back into the picture. Again, this time Morgan Stanley downgraded yesterday from buy to hold, even as they raised their price target pretty substantially. I always think that's stupid when you see that. My view, look, Lockheed took a legitimate hit last week when they lost a key army helicopter contract to Textron. That was a shocker. Textron's interesting stock. But overall, this is a great defense contractor with fantastic leadership from James Takelet. Some huge programs think the F-35 Joint Strike Fighter, all sorts of missiles, including those javelins that are doing such good work in Ukraine. While there's definitely less upside than there used to be here because of a 36% run, I think Lockheed's a buy. Definitely a buy on weakness. Their best performer is one I keep coming back to you on over and over and over again, which is John Deere. Now, we've liked this one for, for a very long time because farmers are flush after a prolonged period of high crop prices. When farmers have money, you know what they do? They go buy deer. That's just the way it is, which is why their order book is in full into the back half of next year. Plus, their construction business should get a nice boost for the big infrastructure bill. Remember, you got to buy American. Best of all, deer sales were just 15 times earnings. Meaning it's still pretty cheap after they're running for more than 25% for the year. Beyond the three best performing industrials, there are some other names I really like in the sector. Caterpillar was the 10th best performing industrial in the S&P, up double digits. I like it almost as much as deer after that most recent blowout quarter. But CAT has much more exposure to infrastructure, and I think they also got a boost from oil and gas industry coming. Hey, by the way, it's interesting. A lot of people are thinking that CAT is more levered to China. Under Jim Umpleby, CAT is more levered to oil and gas, and the private oil and gas companies are still drilling like mad. Definitely worth owning here at 17 times earnings. Next is up is one that we just talked to recently, really well run, Illinois Tool Works, ITW. This, this stock's been slammed this year due to slowdown worries even though the company keeps beating the numbers. In the most recent quarter, they had 16% organic growth. 
While Illinois Tool Works has rebounded off its lows in recent months, it's still trading at 23 times earnings, slightly cheaper than its historical average. It usually trades around 25, 26. I like it here, of course, more on a pullback, but I give you my blessing by ITW. And then here's one that I really like. Yeah, I'm a big transport fan. Uh, they're totally hated. Some of them have been punished enough. And that's how I feel about the great CSX, the East Coast Railroad. Uh, for me, it's a long-term story. I see our East Coast ports getting more business as shipping companies adjust to the fact that our West Coast ports are dysfunctional. In the meantime, CSX is making, um, just minting money with coal. Well, they don't really talk about that much because everyone thinks it's going to go away again. But Europe loves car coal because they denuclearize. I think it's worth buying going into 2023, especially with the stock down 16% for the year. I think there's a lot of upside. Bottom line, when you look at the best-performing industrials, they tend to be companies that are levered to something beyond the business cycle. Northrop Grumman, Lockheed, they're about defense spending, deer tied to the ag cycle. I expect them to do well again next year, although I prefer Caterpillar, Illinois Toolworks, and CSX as ways to make money off of infrastructure spend and industrial growth. Jerry in New York. Jerry! Hi, Jim. How are you today? I am good, Jerry. How about you? Doing well, thank you. Doing well. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Great. Jim, uh, what I'd like to uh, briefly discuss with you this evening is uh, Boeing. And uh, uh, looking at the past one-year chart, uh, Mm -hmm. we see that uh, Boeing peaked at about 225 uh, mid-January of last year, of this past year, excuse me. And then it was on a downward trend uh, till about mid June. Well, it had some manufacturing problems. Right. Okay. Right. So um, since mid June of this past, uh, this current year, uh, it it reached a peak of about 172, give or take. And then uh, the MACD. And then went down. But then I got to tell you something, Jerry. I think it is going to go up again. Why? Because there are only two playing companies. There's the Europeans and us. And we're starting to get some very big orders. Now, I've been a critic of how Boeing's been run. But I got to tell you, if that stock came down, I would buy it. And that quarter, the quarter coming up next, I think it's going to be a good one. I actually think you can buy some at 185 and then wait for it to come in on a pretty ugly day. Because, boy, do we ever have a lot of ugly days. I expect Northrop Grumman, Lockheed, and Deere to do well again next year. Deere's my fave. I do also like Caterpillar, Illinois Toolworks, though, and CSX because... All aboard! Much more man money, including my exclusive with Flexport. For the first time in 22 years, the East Coast ports have been taking a lot of business away from the West Coast as a business in the U.S. One of the reasons, by the way, why I like CSX so much. So has the logistics landscape changed in a post-COVID world? I'm checking in with the company's top brands. And could j be further along in his fight against inflation than he and we think? I'm surveying the data and giving you my take. And order calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. About 18 months ago, we got an early notice about the quickly escalating supply chain crisis and the fact that we're looking at a major backup at our ports in the West Coast. That notice came from a fellow by the name of Ryan Peterson, the founder of Flexport, a privately held software company that helps its customers do a better job of managing their logistics. It's a remarkable solution to a very important problem, which is how Flexport ended up as number one on CNBC's Disruptor 50 list this year. Ever since he tipped us off to the supply chain crisis, we view Peterson as one of the best sources on this entire issue. And every time we've spoken to him, we've learned a lot more because his commentary is spot on. I think it is about time for an update. 
So let's catch up with Ryan Peterson. He's the co-founder and now co-CEO of Flexport. One more, Mr. Peterson, welcome back to Bad Money. Nice to see you, Jim. Booyah to everybody out oh. there. Happy holidays. <laughs> Booyah right back here. Ryan, you were the first. No one was saying it. You told us. Now people are telling me things are better. Things have, They figure out how to use East Coast ports. Even Costco got rid of its fleet of ships. So how much better off are we now? And are things continuing to improve? It depends who you are. If you're a business that's shipping things, things are a lot better off. Uh, prices have come way down, which is probably the main thing they care about. We've seen a decline in the spot market. So the price, if you're just signing up to ship a container without a contract, it's down about 80% uh, in the last year. So that's real relief. Transit times have also improved. It was taking 120 days to get cargo from Asia to the United States. Just as a reminder, it only takes two weeks for the ship to cross. So there's a lot of extra waste in there. That's down to about 55 days. So huge improvements. The reason I say it depends who you are is because, well, if you own ships, it's not very great right now. The prices come way down. They're starting to uh, turn from a very profitable business to like, let's see what next year looks like. All right. Well, look, uh, one of the things that we were clearly in the grips of is uh, China. And now I keep hearing people diversifying away. But then I hear, forget about it, really. The ports aren't deep enough. China's really set up to be able to handle export. Have we actually shifted any business away from China during this period? No, I mean, there's more volume coming out of China than than ever, really. Uh, We're doing more trade with China than before, uh, even before the pandemic. That said, it's like a long run over the last decade. Lots of different industries have moved. China's labor costs have gone up, which is probably a good thing. If you're the Chinese, the uh, workers are getting paid more. But uh, it's made them less competitive for kind of low value add things uh, like apparel. That's largely moved to Southeast Asia. So that's like an ongoing trend that's probably going to continue. But it's the narrative is kind of overblown about everybody moving away from China. I don't we don't really see that in the data. I'm really glad you clear that up. I hear it constantly. I have a feeling that it might be uh, uh, more chimerical now. One of the things that I think is interesting is about Flexport itself, if you don't mind my asking, hiring 400 engineers to double the staff. I mean, tell me about Flexport these days, because I think a lot of people, when I first had you on, they said, look, I want to own shares in Flexport. I said, no, you can't. It's not public. Yeah, we're still we're still privately held company. Uh, we'd like to go public. I think we have a lot more to prove to ourselves and then, and then to the investing world first. Um, we're a technology platform for global logistics, so we make it easier for companies to manage their supply chain, to get space on ships and airplanes, but also really it's about door-to-door management of moving that cargo from wherever it's made to wherever it needs to be and giving you visibility and control so you can actually route around bottlenecks or accelerate parts of the supply chain, place orders when inventory is running low, uh, get a better sense of how your supply chain is running at all times. Um, we, we are hiring 400 engineers in the next year. You'll see us really beef up the tech team. We think it's the great opportunity right now, as most other companies are scaling back hiring and technology industry. We're well capitalized. We raised almost a billion dollars at the beginning of this year. Uh, we were profitable last year for the first time. So we're, we feel really good about our position. That's terrific. Now, let me ask you, uh, I've been dealing with some of the railroad companies and they're claiming that the East Coast ports, a lot of which have been dormant, have suddenly come alive as people realize there are other places to drop off cargo. Is the, is, is the Southeast making a comeback from the way it used to be? I don't, I don't know how permanent that's going to be. I mean, right now, we on the West Coast, the International Longshoremen and Warehousing Union, the ILWU, that's the uh, union that runs the ports on the West Coast. They are operating without a contract uh, since the summertime. And so a lot of people have been very nervous that there's going to be a strike on the West Coast. And so they started to route cargo to the East Coast in anticipation of that. I think, you know, that's probably going to last until they get a contract signed, which, you know, hopefully that's soon. 
Um, they've been operating with that contract for almost six months. So I think if they have stability on the West Coast, it doesn't really make sense to spend the extra two weeks crossing uh, to go to the East Coast. It's much Understood. faster if you bring it into Understood. the West. Now, a uh, lot of, uh, of our retailers, including some farm retailers, actually, got caught without a lot of inventory. You ended up having to ship it by, by FedEx, uh, other air, airways. It cost a fortune. It was bad. Did anyone make that same mistake this year? Or they pretty much, uh, did they solve these problems? So what we've seen is kind of the opposite right now, where people have too much inventory in stock. Oh. Because if you think about it, when, when you had that 120 days is what it was taking from Asia to the U.S., when that reduced to 60, well, like, you got 60 days worth of extra inventory that showed up before you thought it would. Uh, and so a lot of these retailers are now overstuffed. Uh, Walmart, I think, announced 10% o- uh, more inventory this year than this time last year. Costco was about the same. So you're seeing quite a bit of that. It's kind of natural. And then what's happened is they've cut back their orders to replenish because they don't need the goods right now. So that's the big question mark is when are they going to start ordering stuff again? Because container volumes are way down. All right. One last question. Uh, what was happening before you? I mean, were people who had nothing to do with logistics making big logistics decisions? Uh, you know, I think um, this is one of the older industries in the world. We, we uh, Freight forwarding has been around since, you know, time immemorial, basically. And I often joke it should be called freight email forwarding because it's just a lot of people emailing PDFs and Excel attachments all over the world trying to bring some sanity to this really important but like kind of underinvested area of the world. So what Flexport's done is build technology interfaces so that logistics professionals inside companies, inside asset owners can get access to real-time data and make decisions like and have modern software like they deserve. Well, look, I, I think you've done a lot to be able to enlighten uh, all of us to this industry. I want to wish you and, of course, Dave Clark, your new co-CEO. We hope to be able to get in touch with him and see him sometime, too. Uh, congratulations for all of your success. Ryan Pat Peterson, he's the founder, co-CEO of Flexport, and perhaps best known as the guy who called this whole thing well ahead of everyone else. Thank you, Ryan. Great to see you. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day, Jim. Coming yeah, up. Back in. What's in your mind, America? Give us a call. The lightning round is storming the NYSE. Next. It is time. Some of the lightning round. One of those teams said, bye, bye, bye. You're going to and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round. Because I'm going to start with Adam in Oregon. Adam, Mr. Kramer, I love your show. I appreciate oh, thank your you, hard Adam. work and your dedicated diligence. Thank you. So thank much. you. I love Oregon too. My daughter had the best time when she worked out there. What's going on? I'm glad to hear that. Look, thank I know you. you've been very cautious on nuclear, so I love yes, your I call am. on CEG because energy's on fire, and so is carbon right. trading. Speaking of yes. which. I see an intriguing partnership with major investments in nuclear, solar, wind, hydro, and powerhouse investor Howard Marks of Oak Tree Capital Management. Is it time to greenlight DEP? Brookfield Renewable Energy Partners. Man, I've been I've been skeptical of that one. But you know what? I'm always one to go. I learned that from uh, from Will Frost. You call it skeptical. Um, but I'm willing to reopen the books and see if there isn't something here that we can't find. So put me down for that, Mr. Oregon. Let's go to Angelo in New York. Angelo. Hello, Jim. I love your show. Angelo. I try Thank not you. To miss it. Yes. Also, I'm hoping this year underneath my Christmas tree, there's a two-year club membership. If my family is listening, 
know, make a wonderful That's gift. That's what they should give. What a great, what a great gift. Yes. Thank you, thank What's up? You. My question, CCK, Crown Castle and Seal Company. I bought it at a lower Yo, price. Oh, Crown Cork. I love those guys. I've liked them from when I was a little boy. And my dad said, I wish I had the money to buy a share of Crown Cork. The stock's come down. I think it's a great industrial. You got a winner. I need Vinny in New York. Vinny. Hey, what's going on, Jim? Um, I don't know. I'm trying to figure out whether to sit at home and watch the games or sit at my wife's and watch the game. Or maybe we've got my home, too. Who knows? What's up? Awesome, awesome. Listen, Lucid stock has fallen significantly from uh, when I purchased Yeah, but we don't want to fool. Come on. No, no, we, no, we don't want to fool around with that. We're afraid. I mean, the thing just goes down, down, down. I see a, tra- I see a trend. I got the eyes. I think that one is just too dangerous. No more? Let's take another. I say we take one more because it's Friday and because it's my show. Let's go to Steve. Always want to say Let's go to Steve in Michigan. Steve. Booyah, Jim. Love the Booyah, show. Booyah, Steve. Thank you. I was calling about Joby Aviation. What do you think? Yeah. Well, Joby Aviation is kind of like one of those things. It's like it's like a Jules Verne story. Yeah, you, know, you like the land, you put the man on the moon and stuff. Let's leave it like a story and not think of it as a stock. And that, ladies and gentlemen, of the lightning round. Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, there's always a glow at the end of the tunnel. Kramer's thoughts on how to protect your portfolio until the Fed sees the light. Next. Memo to J-Pal. Maybe we're closer to beating inflation than you think. This morning, the S&P Global Flash U.S. Services Purchasing Managers Index, I know, real mouthful, showed that business is slowing pretty darn quickly in this country. When I read it, I realized that I had no idea how weak our economy's become. It's practically overnight. First, let's take inflation. The report notes that inflationary pressures in the service sector, quote, cooled notably in December as input costs rose at the softest pace since October 2020, end quote. That's a big deal. It means inflation is going the right way. Service sector prices are growing at a pace that's like 2020. Good news, although probably not good enough yet for the Federal Reserve. But now let's go right to actual business. Listen to this one, quote, conditions are worsening as 2022 draws to a close with a steep fall in the PMI indicative of GDP contracting in the fourth quarter at an annualized rate of around 1.5%. End quote. That's the kind of actual reduction Powell's looking for. The, jo- the report goes on, quote, jobs growth has meanwhile slowed to a crawl as firms across both manufacturing and services take a much more cautious approach to hiring amid the slump in consumer demand, end quote. Now, I've told you over and over again that the Fed wants to see mass layoffs before they'll stop raising rates, and I think they're going to keep raising rates. Powell knows how this goes, though. You get cautious hiring like we have now, then as long as demand stays soft, that leads to aggressive firing. This PMI report says that weaker demand has taken pressure off the supply chain, which in turn will also result in lower prices. Overall bargaining power is shifting from the seller to the buyer. It made that point. That is so eye-opening. 
that shift is going to read the lower prices for all of us. Of course, this is just one report, admittedly from a very reliable outfit, as you know from Adam one last night. But the implications are huge. These numbers tell me that if Powell simply plays for time with some smaller rate hikes along the way, I don't know if I really want the 50s, he'll be able to beat inflation decisively. The negativity in this market, though, is totally out of sync with what I just read you. Remember, we're in bad news is good news mode. The worse the economy gets, the sooner the Fed can stop bringing the pain. Yet stocks are trading like the Fed's making zero progress and will do multiple 50 basis point increases, as Christine Lagarde, the president of the European Central Bank, said yesterday in her press conference. So what's missing? Simple. The companies that are being forced to cut prices will soon have to lay off some people. Uh, Maybe a lot of people. We know many firms hired too many workers over the past few years, including my alma mater, Goldman Sachs. That brought in lots of people to meet demand. I mean, Goldman had to do that. There was so much demand, but now the demand has vanished. We know it's going to be, it's going because Goldman Sachs is reportedly planning to lay off a lot of people from its workforce. And you know, it's been adamant that it wouldn't do that unless the revenue declines were severe. Obviously, you never want to root for people to lose their jobs. But from the stock market's perspective, that's what needs to happen before stocks can mount a real comeback. Not these kinds of one-off days. Of course, there's another camp that says you can't win regardless of how this plays out. They think we're either going to have a serious drop-off in demand, which will cut numbers, or we'll end up with a major surfeit of supply, which will also cut numbers. Either way, that leads to a spike in bankruptcies and a wave of defaults for the higher-risk credit card companies, to which I say, so what? Listen, if you pick the right stocks with me, the ones that have raised prices and cut costs to compensate for inflation, they'll be able to clean up as their costs come down, allowing their earnings to explode. We talked about it all the time. We talked about it earlier this year with Procter & Gamble. Yep, they're always a bull market somewhere. They're just a lot harder to find at times like these. Yeah, I still say it. There's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you Monday. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.